0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm sure your Bible falls open to Genesis 126 by now. We're continuing our series on authority. And, uh, uh, and honestly, I, I really have it in my heart to keep saying some things over and over in different ways so that we get them. There are things that, uh, that are hitting home with me that um, uh, in, in one respect, for the first time. And so uh, we want to continue along the lines that we've been teaching. Genesis chapter 1 tells us the creation account that God created everything that was good in the earth. In verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. In the original Hebrew, that means an exact duplication in kind. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. That creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Keep it under your control. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We've said this over and over and over again, but I want to say it every time that we get here. And that is, it is an indisputable fact that God created man to have dominion over the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. We know what happened in the Garden of Eden. We know how Satan came in and, and uh, fouled things up. Adam misused his authority by obeying what Satan said to him rather than keeping the commandment of God. We know all that. But since we know that God said, God said... God said, and his word cannot change and his word cannot be broken. Since God said, let man have dominion over the earth. Why in the world does the church have the idea that we don't? Where did the church get the idea that that man lost his dominion? God didn't say, let man have dominion until the devil comes on the scene. He didn't say, "Let let man have dominion until the devil shows himself to be stronger than my word. But I preached this for years, not because I really focused on it, not because I really thought about it or believed it, but I guess I just said the same thing that I heard other people say about how at the fall of man, man lost his dominion and authority in the earth. Well, that's impossible. God said, let man have dominion. Yeah, but some would say he transferred it to the devil. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 4 says that Satan is the God of this world. Well, that doesn't mean he's the God of the earth. It means he's the God or the ruler or the originator of this world system. The word that's translated world there in Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, where it says Satan is the God of this world, literally means period of time. doesn't mean planet. It means period of time. It means age. He's the God of this current age. But oh, thank God this current age is coming to an end. Now, one of the things that I think is the biggest hindrance to us is that we've just casually read some of these things. We've looked at the creation account. We've looked at the the fall of man, and we've assumed certain things without really delving into them and without really meditating on them. You know, it used to be that you had to guard yourself in, uh, from what I'll call normal areas of theft. You wanted to make sure that nobody could pick your pocket you wanted to make sure that you locked your windows and your doors and your car doors and things like that so that people couldn't steal from you but the most common and, uh, or the most prevalent means of theft today the most serious form is identity theft I think the church is suffering identity theft because unless the devil steals from us our knowledge of who we are And what God has delivered from us, he can't steal from us at all. See, if Satan was a God of this world, if he's the one that had authority on the earth, then how could you choose to get saved? See, the general thought among uh, most Christians that I know is that the devil's in the earth and he's just doing pretty much whatever he wants to. Well, why didn't he just destroy the earth in one fell swoop then? And why does the devil have to threaten you with... Sickness and disease and telling you he's going to take your life. If he can do it, why didn't he just do it? It's not like he's your friend giving you one more week. Or just a little bit longer on the earth. If he had the power to do the things that he threatens you with, he wouldn't have to threaten. But it's all designed to deceive us about who we are. And that's what I mean by identity theft. To steal The knowledge of who we are in Christ and what dominion and authority has been given to us. Well, as we said, we all know the story, how that man fell. Look with me over to Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see something here about uh, what God said concerning the curse. He curses the serpent. And then he speaks about the curse, the enmity between the woman and, the, and uh, the enemy, the devil. But I want to start reading in verse 17. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow, literally labor, work, toil, shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So apparently the earth produced for him in a different way than manual labor and the sweat of his brow before the fall. Otherwise, it wouldn't be any curse involved. Notice in verse 18, Thorns and thistles also shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, and for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Now, let me ask you a question. In verse uh, 18, where it talks about the curse of the earth, curse come upon the earth, we see that this is a curse upon the system that governs the earth. Because remember, we've looked uh, over and over again at how the, uh, everything was created in Genesis 1 after his kind. God created everything after his kind. It doesn't say everything after its kind. We know that's included, but it says he created everything after his kind. Well, what's God's kind? Perfection. Everything that God created was created in such a way that there would be no imperfection. There'd be no apples with holes in it. No worms to eat the holes in the apples. No fruit tree that wouldn't produce. Jesus would never have had to curse the fig tree if the original system was still in place when he was here on the earth. Everything was created to duplicate after his kind. Eternally and Perfect. But now there's a different system in place. God says there's a different government, governing operation over the earth. It'll produce for you, but it'll produce differently. It'll produce through different means of work. I believe that has a reference to Adam bringing forth from the ground through his words prior to the fall. But be that that as it may, that might be true, it might not be true. But then notice it says, thorns and thistles that will bring unto you. Who's going to plant those? Where do those come from? Is the devil now the god of this world or the god of this world system? And so he immediately started going through the earth planting thorns? There's no real definition for what the word thistle means. It's, uh, it's used similar to thorn, but it must be something different or else God wouldn't have said thorns and thistles. He wouldn't have said thorns and thorns. So I'm not sure that anybody really knows what a thistle is, so let's call it a weed. Thorns and weeds it'll bring forth. Why? Because the system is corrupted. The system is corrupted. Paul talked about how that the whole earth is groaning and travailing until the manifestation of the sons of God. Think about this, folks. Everything that God created has an element of life. Now, not life like you and I know, but think of it like this. The trees have life in them. It's not human life. It's not spirit life. But There's an element of life to it. Everything God created has an element of life. And whatever that element of life is for the earth, the earth is in complete bondage to a different system in which it was created to function. It was created to operate in an eternal manner, a perpetual manner of perfection. Well, it's rebelling against the system of bondage that it's it's under. That must be what Paul's talking about when he says the whole earth groaneth and travaileth in pain and agony, literally, not physical pain, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, waiting for the end of this age when it'll be delivered too. Every year I uh, plant a vegetable garden. I've gotten to where I only grow tomatoes because I found out that's about all I can grow. But every year I go or have my gardener, I found out he's better at doing this than I am, so I have him go and pick up a load of topsoil from a place up here in Irvine that specializes in different types of soil and that type of thing, so... I'll alternate each year. One year I'll bring what they have developed called a veggie blend type of soil and another year I'll bring compost in. And so I mix that in with the soil that I already have, which was just several years old of the same stuff, and get my garden ready for the plants that I order. I found found out certain things. I found out that not not all seeds are created equal. I found that not all plants are created equal. But I made a mistake the first year that I did this by not preparing the soil and letting it sit for a couple of weeks before I planted. I found out that this soil, which is top-notch stuff, I mean, it's so black and it's so pure and it's so good, it'll grow anything. Well, after I prepare it and let it sit for a couple of days, I'll find that there are weeds all in the stuff. Well, I didn't plant them. And I've yet to go out and find that all of a sudden the vegetable garden is planted without my doing anything about it. It's never flowers. It's never something pretty. It's never something useful. It's always weeds, crabgrass, and that kind of stuff. Why is that? Because the default system on the world has changed. The default system on the world has changed. To put it in computer terms, years ago when they first started coming out with these MP3 players, I tried to take all of the, well I did, took all of the teachings that I had of Brother Hagen on cassette tape, transferred them over into the computer, spent hundreds of hours transferring all the stuff that I had. Well, this was really before iTunes and some of that kind of stuff had been developed. And so I used as my default player Windows Media Player. But when iTunes came out, I downloaded iTunes, and all of a sudden I couldn't get back to Windows Media Player. And it took me forever to figure out that the iTunes had changed the default settings in my computer. Well, I think that's what the fall of man did where the earth is concerned, it changed the default settings. You need to realize that the default settings are for thorns and thistles. It's for the curse. But now look with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We know that God made a covenant with man. His covenant with man was the only way, the only means that he had of coming back onto the scene and influencing man according to his original plan. So he makes a covenant with man. He makes several covenants. He made a covenant with Noah Finally, he gets to the covenant that he made with Abraham. He ratifies it in blood. The shedding of Abraham's blood and the willingness of Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. Which obligates God to offer his son's blood as a sacrifice for mankind. Now, after Abraham has gone off the scene and Moses comes on the scene, God uses Moses to deliver the law to the people. Now what's the purpose of delivering the law to the people notice in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1 and it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all of his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God and for the next 10 or 12 verses he starts talking about all the things that they'll be blessed in. Skip down with me to verse uh, 15 for the sake of time. Here's the contrast. He said, but it shall come to pass if thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Curses shalt thou be in the city and curses shalt thou be in the field and goes down to the rest of the chapter talking about the curses that will come on them or disobedience to his word. Now, folks, my point is simply this. First John chapter 5, verse 19, John said that the whole world lies in wickedness. Well, the Bible talks about the whole world is in darkness. Darkness is just a metaphor for evil or wickedness. Darkness or evil is the default setting for the default setting for this world system that Satan is the God of. But even under the old covenant, Before the new birth was possible. Even under the old covenant. The curse that is upon this world system. Could be overcome. By keeping or obeying. God's word. Now putting together the things. That we've already seen. Genesis 126. Let us make man in our own image. After our own likeness. An exact duplicate and copy. In kind. For the purpose of having dominion over the works of God's hands. Psalm 115 verse 16. Says the heaven even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth has he given to the children of men. Well that doesn't mean man owns it. But it's another reference to show us that God's plan for dominion. Man's dominion on the earth has never changed. If God ever changed his plan. For man's to have dominion on the earth. Then how can we trust God's plan to not have changed on any and every other issue. God either has to be completely true to his word, or his word is not trustworthy. No word of his would be trustworthy. So if God's plan was for man to have dominion, even after the fall takes place, God comes on the scene and tells man, that you can overcome the default settings of the earth. You can't do away with the thorns and the thistles, but you can overcome them. Thorns and thistles will will continue throughout this age, throughout the age of man. But you can't overcome them. And notice how you overcome them. You overcome them by the word of God. Look with me over to uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. I could quote this to you and you, you'd you probably be familiar with it because we've talked about it at some length. But I want you to realize that Jesus is talking about to his disciples, saved us a record of it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us an account, all says the same thing. Very little variation in any of the three Gospels. But he's telling us how to operate in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is by definition the realm under God's dominion. Jesus, I believe, defined it in Matthew chapter 6 where he says the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. That is how it was when God created the earth. Until man fell in the garden, the will of God was done on the earth just like it was in heaven. Well, if God's plan hasn't changed and God saw man with dominion, rested on the seventh day because he said everything was very, very good then it must still be very, very good for man to fulfill God's will and plan and purpose on the earth today. Very good doesn't change just because Satan came in on the scene. God's original plan is God's present plan for man to carry out his will and plan and purpose here on the earth. So notice in Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus is giving the disciples, the church, you and me, instruction. On how to operate in the realm under God's dominion. Or another way to say that is how to bring forth God's will, His plan, His purpose to bear in the earth today. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. He didn't say a word about the curse. Have you noticed that the Bible gives us very little information from God about the devil? Why is that? We have a little bit of information. But most of the information we have is relative to the fact that we have dominion and authority over him and his works. If God doesn't focus on the devil, why should we? Instead, the Bible tells us to focus on the word of God. And there's a reason for that because the word is the answer to overcome this world system. Don't worry about who your adversary is. Focus on the integrity of the seed. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, the casting seed he's talking about is speaking the word. The ground he's talking about is not only your, the, the world around you, but your, specifically your own heart. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear, but when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. Now notice the saying Jesus is saying specifically. The word of God will produce in the earth. The word of God, when spoken by you, will produce in the earth. Now, not immediately, not overnight. You may have to, when I was a kid, we used to count sleeps. How many sleeps till Christmas? Well, that's 365 sleeps till the next Christmas, Mike. You're going to have to be patient. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. You may have to have several sleeps, but it'll come up. It'll come up. Turn with me over to Second Peter chapter 1. I made this statement a little bit before, but I want you to see it in this context. Not all seed is created equal. The devil's seed is not equal to the word of God. Peter says, verse 20, uh, wait a minute, I turned to the wrong thing. Well, look with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 first. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Peter says, being born again, Jesus said, that's how you enter into the kingdom of God, is being born again. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. By the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Now, notice he says that the word of God is incorruptible seed. I've ordered seed before in times past and found that it was old seed by the time it got to me. So it lost its potency. Well, the word of God never gets old, the word of God never loses its power, it never decays. You're born again of incorruptible seed. Well, what is that incorruptible seed? It's the word of God. If the word of God can change the heart, the spirit, and the nature of a man in an instant, how powerful is that seed or must that seed be? One way to look at the things that we're believing for or speaking to is to realize we've already received the greatest miracle that there is. And we simply received it by accepting somebody's word when they told us that the Bible says that if we'll believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouths that he's Lord of our lives, then we'll be born again. Anybody ever really tried to figure that out before they acted on it? I've tried to figure it out since. But not before. Just as a young child. I heard that in the Baptist church. I didn't know what it meant, but I had enough knowledge to act on it and it worked. Now, think about that, folks. Think about it from God's standpoint. The changing of a man's nature, being born again, becoming the new creation, how does that rate when it comes to receiving healing? Or how does that rate when it comes to finances being provided for us supernaturally? Or physical circumstances changing? The Bible says that the greatest uh, exhibit exhibit or exhibition of power was when God raised Jesus from the dead. Wouldn't that be true for you and I being raised from the dead too then? Being raised from spiritual death to eternal life. But we accept that like a child. We accept that with childlike faith. We simply act on what the Bible says. Not even really knowing what to expect. As far as what it's going to feel like. Or how it's going to manifest. We just act on it and we enter into the family of God. Now turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter has finally realized the importance of the word. I'm not sure that he had the full knowledge of it when Jesus was here on the earth. Let's start in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, Through the righteousness of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice he says that we have the same like precious faith as he did as Jesus himself did. So he's got to be talking to people that are born again. We receive the same like precious faith through the righteousness of God. Well, you can't be righteous until you're born again. So he's writing to people that are born again. Keep that in your mind. He's writing to people that are already saved. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, he's saying your grace can increase, your peace can increase, even be multiplied after salvation, following the new birth, after being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and it all comes to the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. No matter where you are on the grace scale, No matter how high you might be in the peace meter. You can always have more when you increase your knowledge of God. Verse 3. According. In other words, here's why. You can always have more grace and always increase your peace. According as his divine power has, past tense, has given us. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. In other words, he's saying he's shown his divine power by bringing you into his family. And a part of that provision, a part of that blessing, a part of that potential is unlimited grace and unlimited peace through the knowledge of Jesus. Whereby, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. 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 But where are the promises of God held? In his word. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these promises. You might be partakers of the divine nature. He's not talking about getting born again. He's writing to people that have already been born again. Why would we need promises to be born again. In this, if divine, Escaping the corruption of the world through lust and partaking of the divine nature, if that means being born again, why is he telling people that have already been born again? No, instead he's saying, to those who have been born again, to increase through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, the word of God is given to us and promises are made to us, so that we can live up to everything that Jesus died for us to be. Not just children of God, but grown-up sons and daughters. That through these promises, you might be partakers, you might take hold of, you might realize in your life all the things that Jesus suffered and died for. Well, that must be more than just forgiveness of sins. Because they've already received that when they were born again. They had to receive that in order to be made righteous And obtain like precious faith. Isn't that true? He's talking about the word of God. Remember Jesus said the whole kingdom of God is like a man planting seed in the ground. Speaking the word into his heart. Speaking the word of God into the earth. The word of God will change you. And the word of God will change the world around you. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these you might be partakers. It's not a sure thing. The only thing that makes it sure is you're putting the word first place and not turning loose of it. But God doesn't determine that. He doesn't decide whether or not you will. We decide that on our own. For ourselves. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. It all comes back to the word folks. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Notice what God said about His Word. Let's start reading in verse uh, 8. God said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. I've said this many times before, but that verse of Scripture was used when I was a kid growing up in a denominational church. To say, to imply that we could never know the thoughts of God and we could never know his ways. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not taunting us. Saying my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. Tough luck for you. He's telling us how we can know his thoughts and know his ways. For my thoughts are higher, they're not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Now, what is he talking about? Is he talking about height? What does he mean higher than our, uh, heavens higher than the earth? His thoughts higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. What's he talking about? He's talking about his thoughts are eternal thoughts. His thoughts are spiritual thoughts. Now, you say that to some people and they they think, well, that's right. We need to be eternally minded. And for too many Christians, being eternally minded means they ignore things that are going on here on the earth just waiting to get to heaven. That can't be what he's talking about. I've never found anybody that's eternally minded in that respect that's doing the work of occupying till Jesus comes. So what does he mean? He means he's thinking kingdom thoughts. He's thinking spiritual thoughts, the realm under which, under God's dominion. The kingdom of God, where the will of God is done in the earth like in heaven. God's not one way in heaven in a different way while we're here on the earth. God's the same no matter where we are. Our location doesn't change him a bit. So he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, he's speaking to unsaved men and women. He's saying, I think according to the kingdom of God, you should too. I operate according to the kingdom of God. You should too. Then he gives us an analogy. It's an analogy about planting seed and the growth of seed. Verse 10 For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and returns not back to heaven, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. In other words, he's saying the word of God always produces. Just like the rain comes down to benefit the earth, the word of God comes down to benefit you on the earth. The word of God provides seed to the sower. And that seed planted and allowed to grow will provide bread to the eater. It sounds a lot like what Jesus said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Jesus is talking about the word of God. God says the same thing in the Old Testament. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall accomplish the thing where I sent whereunto I sent it. It shall accomplish the thing whereunto I sent it. You know why? Because it's incorruptible seed. It doesn't lose its power. It doesn't get old. It's always full of life and power. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The author of the book of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, said exactly the same thing inspired by the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up to verse 10. For he that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Now, the rest he's talking about is, uh, is not the rest that comes from doing good works, trying to earn your way into God, but receiving by faith the things that Jesus has done on our behalf. So he says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. That is a labor. That is work. That takes effort. To quit trying to do it yourself. Quit thinking that you should be doing it yourself. And just trust in what he did. That's one of the biggest battles you're ever going to fight here on the earth. It's going to be one that takes place in your mind, in your thinking. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For, because... The Word of God is quick and powerful. Most translations say full of life and power. Full of life and power. Now, if something's full of something, how much room is there for anything else? It didn't say half full. When it says quick and powerful, it's talking about overwhelming ability. For the Word of God is quick, alive, and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharp enough to divide between soul and spirit. Now remember when Isaiah 55 where we just read, God said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high my ways are above yours. That's how high my thoughts are above yours. Remember, he's talking about spiritual thoughts, spiritual ways. Here, the word of God is talking about dividing between soul and spirit. He's talking about revealing. Peeling back soulish things, earthly things, fleshly things, so that we focus on spiritual things. Well, what spiritual things should we focus on? God said to think his thoughts and operate in his ways. Jesus talked about that as being part of the kingdom of God. Bringing about or bringing to bear the will of God on the earth just like it is in heaven. The word of God is quick and powerful. What situation are you facing that the word of God is not enough for? I mean, let's be real. That's what the devil tries to tell us. It's going to take something more than just confessing the word in this thing. Really? Really? What's it going to take? Well, you're going to have to do something yourself. Well, that's what Paul just wrote in Hebrews chapter 4 that we need to guard against. If there's anything that takes our doing, apart from just acting on what the Word says, believing it and confessing it and walking it out in our lives, then we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, you've got to use wisdom. I'm pretty well convinced that doing what the Bible says is wisdom. Finally, turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Here's the kicker for me. I'm going to start in verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, heard it, Do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's writing to Christians. This is a good prayer to pray for yourself. That you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You remember Jesus said, I always do those things that please my father. It occurred to me one day that we ought to be able to say the same thing. I always do those things that please my father. If you're walking in love and and keep yourself in the love of God, then you can say that. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience. Notice you need might, power and strength to be patient. You ever been in a real tough test, difficult fight? You know that that's one of the hardest things there is. To maintain your patience, your expectancy, while you hold your emotions in check. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience. You know, that's where people, uh, it seems to me, I know this was true and... uh, And a lot of us in younger days when we were in Bible school and around Brother Hagin. A lot of times people would get under pressure and they'd just go do something. Ask them later on, why'd you do that? They said, I don't know. I just felt like I had to do something. Well, folks, if we've got the Holy Ghost on the inside of us, then that means we've got the witness of the Spirit of God to lead and guide us. Which means if you don't know what to do, there's nothing for you to do. So any effort that you exert without the knowledge of this is something that I need to do. Because the Holy Ghost is witnessing within my heart, within my spirit, that this is the action to take. You're taking a step backwards. You're forfeiting patience for physical energy. I see people doing that with the presence of God sometimes. I did this. I can't throw rocks at anybody for this because I did this. My dad was in the hospital dying of lung cancer. And he had had a, uh, I went to see him on a Saturday. And the hospital that he was in in Birmingham was kind of across town from where we lived. And so it took what seemed like forever now, looking back at it, it was probably just 30 or 40 minutes to get there, but the roads weren't good. There weren't any freeways and, you know, roads like we're used to out here. So it was kind of a little bit of a difficult journey to get there. So I got there and uh, and found out that he had had a, a real near miss with death the night before. So I'm sitting there in the in the hospital room with him. And uh, and you got to realize I didn't have a real close relationship with my father, his choice, not mine. But I just, I got saved when I was young. And so I never was any fun for the things he wanted to do and so forth after I grew up. And I was, uh, oh, this would have been in 1980. So I would have been 25 years old, 24 years old, I guess. So I'm sitting in the hospital room and uh, he said, Mike almost didn't make it last night and when he said that the presence of god came into that hospital room like i'd never experienced before now i'd been listening to brother hagan for several years i knew about the holy ghost i'd heard a lot of teaching on the spirit of god and being led by the spirit and even the glory of god to some degree but i'd never experienced it and when the spirit of god came in that room it got so thick in that room It was almost like a heaviness. It was almost like it puts you to sleep. And after about 30 or 45 seconds of that, I bolted and ran. I just took off. I just told my dad, I'll come back and see you tomorrow. But I ran. I ran specifically. I ran from the presence of God. It scared me. There's no reason it should have. It wasn't an unpeaceful thing. It was a greater peace than anything I'd ever experienced. But I was so unsure and so unspiritual that I ran away. Well, the next day I had planned to go. The next day was Sunday and I was going to go Sunday morning to get back to the hospital. And the battery was dead on my car. And by the time I got anything done about it, by mid-afternoon, he had died. Looking back at it, I can see that God was giving me a chance to say goodbye to my dad. Man, I wish I'd taken that. I wish I'd had enough to me spiritually not to run, not to get spooked and freaked out by it. But I see people do that even in church sometimes. Presence of God will come on them and they feel like they've got to run. They got to jump. They got to make noise. They got to do something. And don't get me wrong, sometimes the Holy Ghost will come on you to run, to jump, to shout. But sometimes people are just making noise because they're uncomfortable by the Spirit of God. My ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, Jesus said. Well, back to Paul's prayer don't know why I told you that. I don't really like to think on that. Not my finest hour. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience. It takes divine strength to be patient, to let the word of God do its work. Unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Now, folks, a lot of us suffer long because we don't have any choice. But are we joyful while we suffer long? That's the question. That takes the power of God too. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet, literally able, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, he's still talking to Christians. Same thing with Paul here, who we experienced with Peter. He's writing to the church. So he's talking about being made partakers, taking hold of, experiencing what Jesus died for us to have, not just being born again, but the nature of God in our human beings, our human flesh, so that we carry out his will on the earth here and now. Verse 13, who has delivered us, notice that's past tense, hath delivered, who hath delivered us from the power. That word power is the word authority has delivered us from the authority of darkness darkness is a metaphor for evil it's a it's a metaphor for this world system jesus has delivered you from the authority of this world system now he's not talking about delivered by uh, delivered from the authority of this world system in order to be born again he's talking about now that you have been born again part of what Jesus accomplished for you was to deliver you from all of the authority of this world system the authority of darkness and translate it into the kingdom of his dear son what would the kingdom of his dear son the kingdom of Jesus be if not the kingdom of God where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven the territory over which or the domain over which God has dominion what would that be if not that who has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated us, placed you into the kingdom of God. Well, remember what Jesus said in Mark 4, 26. So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground. In other words, you've been delivered from the authority of darkness so that you can speak the word and see the word change your world. It's not just any old seeds you're planting. Well, what if I planted the wrong seed, Pastor Mike? Well, you just keep on speaking the word and it'll choke out that wrong seed. Notice there's no mention of having to dig up the old seed, the wrong seed. Now, just speak the word. Just speak the word. All seed is not created equal. The seed of doubt can easily be overcome by this word of God. Words that we've spoken as influenced by the devil and his thinking. Can easily be overcome by the the word of God spoken from your mouth. Easily. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God shall accomplish the thing God sends it to do. Over and over and over again, the Bible guarantees you that the word of God will bring results. When we say the word of God, we're not talking about the Bible sitting in your lap. We're talking about the Bible coming out of your mouth. Spoken by your own lips. Given voice to. if it would would work supernaturally under the old covenant, what do you think it will do under the new covenant, the better covenant established upon better promises? If the word of God would bring supernatural results spoken by spiritually dead men under the old covenant, what will it do when it's spoken by those of us that are alive under God? So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And should sleep and rise. Night and day. And it should spring up. He did not even have to know how. Doesn't even have to know how. But it will work. Amen. Let's pray. Oh father what a privilege it is. To speak your word. Let's just do that. Say this after me. In the name of Jesus. Healing belongs to me. According to the word of God. I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. Therefore, I say with my mouth, because I choose to believe in my heart, that sickness must go from my body. Body, respond to the Word of God. You are healed in the name of Jesus. I believe according to God's Word that I have authority over this world system I have authority over this world's finances in the name of Jesus all of my needs are met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus whenever I give it's given back unto me good measure pressed down shaken together And running over is it given back to me? Everything I put my hand to prospers supernaturally according to the Word of God. I declare that the grace and the peace of God are multiplying in my life as I grow in the knowledge of Jesus and the knowledge of His Word. Thank you, Father. That the greater one lives in me. Thank you for the anointing of God. And the victory that comes through the word. To put me over in every situation. In every circumstance. I declare. That I am the head only. And not the tail. Above only. And not beneath. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus said that's a guarantee to come to pass. I suggest you water that. That'll produce a good crop. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.